Welcome to the Toronto Family Show. This is where we interview changemakers, showing what's taking place in the city and how they are making a difference. Since March of this year, online searches for learning curriculum and lessons have gone up 400%. Toronto Family Show is recording a series dedicated to quality curriculum and learning content that can be used at home as well as in the classroom. Today I am chatting with John Mighton. He's a mathematician, an author, and a founder of Jump Math Curriculum. Jump Math is a Canadian charity that was founded on a belief that every child can learn math. Jump Math is an excellent resource for in and outside of the classroom. It is aligned with Ontario learning standards, learning standards of other Canadian provinces, as well as the U.S. You know, with current coronavirus and disruption in schools, parents are really worried about math loss, learning loss. I mean, and I think math is always a priority because it's so hard to catch up if you, you know, miss so much math instruction. Mm -hmm. And so parents are going to, they're actually taking a lot more charge at home to, you know, help their kids. I mean, in the best of times, I'm, I'm a teacher and parents will come and fret about Uh math all the time. And like right right now it's a full blown panic. So I love Jump Math and I wanted to talk to you specifically. Um, I came across your book at the Toronto Library years ago in like 2009. Uh, you wrote uh, The Myth of Ability and mm-hmm. I, I love the book and I, I love how you have, you, you know that every child can learn if we just teach them the way they learn and teach them if we figure out their gaps in knowledge. I learned, I love that you have this belief in children because a lot of, a lot of people don't and a lot of parents don't. So as teachers, we always have to be supportive of the kids and we also have to be supportive of the parents. And a lot of my parents are uh, from different countries and they're newcomers. I mean, they're like accountants and scientists, but they don't know about jump math. So like when they come to the class and they're like, what are you guys doing? And they look at the curriculum. So like, you know, I tell them about jump math. Jump math is so helpful because it's so sequential and it's creative. It's, it's chunking kids knowledge so that, you know, kids can go back and forth and think about it critically, but it's also fun. It's not just a regular worksheet kind of thing. So I wanted you to tell us about your experience and um, primarily what I'm worried about as as a teacher. Last year, um, I taught seventh grade. And I mean, it's so much easier when kids are little. We know they need to know their timetables. They need to know their numbers automatically up to 20. Like that's what I do in my class. I want them to know up to 20 automatically and their timetables. So when we come to long division that they don't have to you know, count on their fingers. But what I worry about the most is when we get to middle school, like our curriculum is really watered down in elementary school, but in, in middle school, it gets so dense and then it gets even more dense in high school. So I wanted you to 
give parents some tips like what do we do with our middle schoolers and high schoolers when it gets so complicated and dense and they and they start saying well this is too hard or this is boring or you know that takes real real dedication to stick with it yeah I, uh, I you have so much experience not just with grades k through eight but also high school and you have phd in math so please whatever you can share is appreciated Okay, well, well, to start with, and I'll get into more depth on how the lessons work and, and what resources are available for teachers. But, um, you know, I struggled in math when I was young. I, I almost failed calculus the first time. I didn't go into math until I was in my 30s. And so, and, and I've worked with thousands of kids who have struggled both one-on-one -on -one and teaching even large classrooms. Um, so, Jump was developed out of my own struggles because I was insecure about math and also, you know, being able to work with so many kids and seeing what they need. Um, over a period of 20 years, we developed a program that that is now showing really good results, even in randomized controlled trials. So I'll, I'll explain more about that. But I want to start by saying that um, on our website, which is jumpmath.org, um, we posted a lot of essential lessons uh, that parents or teachers can use um, to help kids catch up and close the gap. So our writers selected lessons they thought were really critical for review for whatever grade level. So you can go into the website. You have to register and create a username. There's a little link on the side of the homepage that says create an account. You just fill in your information and then we give a password and so on. But those resources are free. and. Um, one thing, because we're, you know, we're a charity and we're, we haven't been great at marketing ourselves until recently, we're starting to get much better. Um, but a lot of people don't know about our teacher's guides or our teacher's resources. Uh, a lot of people think JUMP is just is student books. Um, but the, the, you know, it, when teachers are using JUMP or parents, we beg them not to just use a workbook, particularly teachers. Um, but to take a look at the lesson plans that go with the student books. Um, in fact, we don't even call the student books workbooks anymore. We call them assessment and practice because they should only be used at the end of the lesson for kids to practice and to show that they've, they've, they've understood the concepts. So if you go on the website and go to publications and then um, pick teachers resources and, and, and pick your grade level, um, every lesson has a detailed lesson plan and we call the method of jump structured inquiry. So um, kids should be thinking, they should be doing the thinking. Most of the lessons are built around questions. The teacher or the parent just asks questions and, and the questions are designed so that the student can figure it out themselves. So the kids get very excited at making these discoveries, but we call it structured inquiry because the, the research in cognitive science shows that kids need more guidance than they typically get. So they need scaffolding, which means breaking the concepts into manageable and sensible chunks and allowing kids to figure things out. Um, you know, the teacher shouldn't be, or the parent sh as much as possible, shouldn't be doing the thinking for the student. They should be thinking and connecting and, and uh, coming up with explanations. Um, but they also, kids also need more practice um, than, than they typically get. They need more review. Um, our, our brains, our working memories are very poor. We can only hold so much new information at a time. So we really need time to practice and consolidate. We need to constantly go back to things because our memories are fairly poor. 
so the, those lesson plans are built like that. So, so, you know, parents and teachers can go in there and download them. If they don't want to look at the full program, they can look at the essentials lessons that are right on the homepage um, if they want to get started with JUMP. But, you know, you asked about high school. Um, I think that the reason a lot of kids struggle in high school, it's, it's um, because of things they missed in grade seven, six, seven, and eight. So, for instance, simple algebra, fractions, ratios, percents, decimals. A lot of high school material isn't that hard. It's often about just understanding a definition and unpacking an expression or contracting an expression or expanding an expression. That's not the hard part. It's, it's, an, it's when kids encounter fractions or, or don't know the standard algebra or, or integers or things like that, that's when they really struggle. And so um, our grade six, seven, eight books really fill in that background. And parents might also want to look on our US site because the US has a new curriculum called the Common Core that they brought in about six years ago. And it's a very good curriculum. And um, it's a bit more advanced than the Canadians. So some of our grade seven and eight US materials contain high school lessons. So parents should definitely look at a lot of grade nine material is covered in those books for Ontario. So anyway, I don't want to overwhelm people and I don't want to stop you from asking questions, but I just wanted to give people a sense of the resources that are available for free because we're a charity. We made these essential lesson packs um, available for free. And for sometimes the full lesson plans will be available. We, uh, I'm not sure how long we'll have the entire program up, but it's, we'll always be putting up essential lessons for parents and teachers. That is, uh, that is excellent because there is a lot of parents who um, have, let's say, uh, they, they have their kin kids in private school and private schools usually have advanced curriculum. So we work uh, one year ahead and mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe, but some of my kids are done with that. Like they can go two years ahead. So that is right. excellent that right. there's, as you know, as you know, the, the three grade level difference in any given classroom. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, you have to meet your child where they are. And I love that you said about jumpmath.org because parents also, like when they go to sites, the curriculum sites might be intimidated and might think I need some special teacher email to sign in or whatnot. But it's just, it takes regular email, sign in and right. enjoy That's the right. curriculum. Yeah, it's available. For, it's open to parents or teachers through the website. So um, you're saying middle school, middle school curriculum is foundational, which we all know from mm -hmm. high school, mm -hmm. you know, and I was looking at some statistics and they're saying, um, it says that more than half of Ontario high school students drop science and math courses as soon as they're no longer mandatory after grade 10, which right. limits a lot oh, of- Oh, wow. A lot I didn't of, know it was that bad. It's- Doesn't it, half? Wow. Uh, and I remember hearing that like math class in grade 12 would only have six kids. Yeah. So I, I want to know what is it that we are doing so bad that we don't prepare our kids to take these classes if they want to take them? Why do they feel so discouraged? Like what the system is failing the kids if they're not able to take this class. I mean, it's high school. Yeah. You wouldn't think like you, you think high school class is too hard, but they are too hard. Yep. Well, um, it's a really deep, complicated question. And one thing, um, you know, I don't think this problem is due to teachers. I mean, teachers are my absolute heroes. 
They've helped us grow Jump. They've helped us improve the program. Um, it's kind of a systemic problem and it's, it's very complicated. Uh, so I'll try and suggest some of the reasons why, why I think so many uh, kids drop out of math or struggle in math. And it's a serious problem because, you know, people are surprised when we tell them that for young kids, math is actually the strongest predictor of, of academic success at school. It, it's people think it's reading, but actually math is a stronger predictor. It's even stronger than sort of um, attention skills, social emotional skills, things like that. Um, that's for young, younger students. But even as they get older, you know, math becomes a huge barrier. Math predicts your, you know, the kind of jobs you'll get, the, your, how, how secure you are financially. It even predicts health, and I don't have time to get into it, but there are even health outcomes associated with, you know, not knowing math or being enumerate, negative health outcomes. So I don't think people understand how important math is, because a lot of people think, well, I didn't do well in math, so it doesn't really matter. And, and you can get by without math, but unfortunately so many careers are cut off to you. And also when kids learn to think mathematically, they develop all kinds of conceptual abilities that transfer into every other subject. So they learn to think logically, to create, to construct arguments, to find missing you know, assumptions and arguments, to make inferences and, and, and to see patterns and, and, make, and connections, to understand risk and you know, the probability of things and statistics, which is critically important now with people so uh, so willing to ignore science. So, 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 and such a sort of dangerous time we're in when, where people don't understand the simplest risks, whether it's from COVID or climate change. So our society is really, um, really suffering because people can't think mathematically. Um, and there are a number of reasons why I think that's happened. Now, it's always been the case, you know, we've always had in our system, even if you go back 50 years, uh, a huge difference between the top students and the bottom students. Like you said, there could be a three grade level difference by grade six or five, we're, we're seeing. That's universal. Um, so it starts very young, this gap. And, and um, I, there are two main reasons, I think. So one is when you design curricula, or materials for students, you have to take account of the cognitive science of how people learn or the science of learning. And fortunately, this, the science of learning has become very developed and some of the findings are, are working their way into the school system. So one of the findings is that, you know, we, we easily suffer from cognitive overload. Uh, we can, and that novice learners are very different from expert learners. When you're learning something for the first time, it's best if a teacher only varies one concept at a time or one skill or doesn't vary too many things at once because otherwise kids suffer from cognitive overload. Our brains just can't process that much new information. And I'm a mathematician and my brain works the same way. When I'm learning something new, I have to take one little chunk of, of the, the topic and try and master that. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of materials and resources for kids uh, overwhelm them sometimes with with really complicated diagrams or, or uh, text or language. So um, it helps if kids learn to solve word problems more incrementally, like you know a phrase at a time or uh, you know a simple uh, representation or diagram at a time, and then you make it more and more complex. So so that's one reason I think that so many kids are struggling because we haven't based our 
our resources on the science of learning and, and teachers really suffer from that because sometimes teachers aren't aware that they're varying two or three concepts at a time that the resources they're using are doing that. The second reason is, which is, this is kind of a radical claim and something that's very different about jump. As early as grade one, research shows that kids can tell if a teacher has different expectations for them. Um, you know, cognitive scientists, uh, sorry, anthropologists call humans status seeking primates. If we're good at anything, it's knowing where we are in a hierarchy or a, or a pecking order. And, and kids are really good at knowing where they are. So very early, they start to compare themselves to their peers and decide who's smart and who isn't, who's in the talent group. And if you think, you know, we've got evidence in JUMP that every, virtually every child, unless they have very, very severe challenges, can learn math at a high level. Um, I took my first student was remedial grade six years ago. One of my first students, um, his mom was told he could never learn math, that he was just too intellectually challenged. A couple of years ago, we went out to celebrate the fact that he's now a fully tenured math professor. Wow. Uh, I have radical beliefs about that math, and I write about this in a new book called The End, uh, sorry, All Things Being Equal, uh, a book that was just published this year. There's so much evidence now that math is accessible to every brain. Math is actually the easiest subject for the human brain. It's not the hardest subject if it's taught well. And uh, so if every kid could learn math, you know, or virtually every child can learn math, yeah, we have to ask why isn't it happening? And it's not just that we're causing cognitive overload. It's also because once kids decide they're in the inferior group, their brains stop working. They stop engaging, they stop working, they, they don't remember, they, sometimes they develop anxieties or, or terrible behavior to distract from the fact that they're struggling. And so we don't really take account of that when we design curriculum. Um, the, we don't look at how easily some of our, our resources create hierarchies. And, and, you know, if not every kid could learn math, they'd have to get used to being in the inferior group. But if every kid could learn math or virtually kid, then we couldn't have designed a worse way yeah. uh, for teaching it because you're going to shut down the brains of all these kids who could learn math very early. But, you know, it can happen very, very early. That's so so those are the two main reasons why I think kids are struggling so much. Yeah, and you know, so so many textbooks that I have seen, uh, they don't, they're kind of reference books. They don't mm -hmm. really explain how to do the problems or like what in the world we're doing. So teachers are left, we have to like make so much more curriculum and yeah. create so many mini lessons and fill yeah. in the gaps. And, and, and it's so much, and then we have to convince the kids to be okay to make a mistake. Like I have, yeah students are complete yep. perfectionists and they break down if they make a mistake like, who cares we all make yeah, mistakes yeah, exactly just get over yourself we you know it's okay to make a mistake brush it off yeah you have to learn that i do it all the time i i mean when i teach sometimes i tell the kids watch out i might make a mistake today they love catching my mistakes i know i know i like no one is perfect and that is a part of learning but for them for them, if they make a mistake, they feel like they're stupid or people not yeah. think of them as smart. Like we yeah. have to just make the learning environment comfortable for everyone. It's just right. whenever you're learning something, you're going to make a mistake. It, it doesn't yeah. really matter. But 
confidence in math is what you said is so important. Even, even when they're struggling, if they believe that they can figure it out. And I always yeah. thought, if you're not frustrated and if you're not mad at your textbook, you're not learning. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and to develop. So, so the mistake people make is they constantly mistake the end where you want to get kids to for the means to get them there or where right. you should start. And so it's, it's really important that kids develop growth mindsets, positive mindsets that they learn to struggle and so on. Um, Carol Dweck, who wrote the book Mindset, is a, is a fan of JUMP. There's a video of her on our homepage saying that because we keep kids in a zone where they're doing things that look hard, but aren't too hard, that would help them develop growth mindsets. Um, but here's the thing, for novice learners, which is pretty much all kids when they're learning something, that zone is very narrow. It's much narrower than we think. They can't handle too much struggle in the beginning and they can't handle too many new conceptual variations. So in order to move a whole class along, you have to keep that zone very tight. And that doesn't mean rote learning, Teaching in manageable chunks or scaffolding is, is the only way that we develop concepts. It's not anti-conceptual. And we, JUMP was involved in a very large randomized controlled trial um, over two years. And in the second year, uh, the grade three students did significantly better in problem solving on EQAO style problems. And in the high fidelity group, the effect size, which measures the difference between the groups was huge. Even the researchers commented on it. Um, so what I'm saying, a lot of people think, oh, that's just road, or if you teach in manageable chunks or scaffold, that's road. No, it's actually the opposite. If you're teaching a novice learner, that's the only way they, they all develop concepts efficiently. So, um, you know, we, we really have to treat in the first half of the year when kids are coming in, there's huge gaps, a lot of them aren't confident. We have to treat the kids differently than at the end of the year. And most resources are developed so that they're there. You have the same level of communication expected at the beginning of the year, the same depth of problems, the same number of the same complexity, the same number of steps, uh, often real world complicated language dense problems at the same at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. What that does is destroys any chance that you have of developing positive mindsets in about half the class or, or more sometimes. If you keep the kids zone a zone where they're stretching themselves, but not too much. Uh, they love mastering things. They love conquering challenges. So you're always saying, whoa, you got that? Can you do this? But the, the challenges are structured so that they're within their, their zone of you know, proximal development, their the zone of what they can do. Then it also helps psychologically. The, it, I think there's also a productive zone of struggle and that zone is very narrow at first, at the beginning of the year. So that's the problem, a, a really critical problem in the design of most resources is they look the same at the beginning and the end of the year. Kids may have fewer concepts at the beginning of the year, but they're still expected to do the same rich, dense, multi-step word problems. We think that if you, if you start with simpler problems and gradually make them harder, you get much better results psychologically and academically. And, and the, the research, that randomized controlled trial really did show that. And, and this isn't about jump, like we're, we're not making this up. We stumbled on this being in classrooms. We, over many years, we realized we have to teach this way to bring the whole class along. If you believe everyone can learn math, this is the only way to make it happen. But uh, th this, is not, this is not anything to do with jump. It's a much bigger issue. Cognitive scientists are begging the school system to take, a, take account of these things. 
that novice learners are different from expert learners. So you, your program should look different at the beginning of the year than at the end of the year. That kids suffer from cognitive overload, that they need positive mindsets. If you don't design your, your resources based on the science of learning, then you're damaging kids and teachers because you make teachers' lives very difficult. And parents, you make their life very difficult trying to help the kids at home when, 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 when they don't have the confidence when they've been turned off the subject. That's true. I, you know, what you're saying about chunking and um, educational research on how kids learn, they do learn by chunking as we know it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, kids actually really dislike word problems. Like word problems, they all shut down and they're like, ha you know, word problems. But I'm like, we have to master the word problems because if you can do word problems, you're going to do really well. So yeah, so, so could, I, could I just say something like I can give you an example of a different approach to word problems. So in, in, in this randomized control trial, the kids did better and jump on word problems. And, and I keep saying this because there's a kind of disconnect where I can say all this stuff and people say, well, but yeah, but, the, but they're not gonna do better on word problems. No, they do better on word problems this way. So here's the thing, in grade three, kids struggle with part whole problems. Like you might have uh, red marbles and blue marbles and they make a total, but you might know the difference between the number of red marbles and blue marbles. You might know if someone has more or less. Um, you might know the total and only one of the parts. You might know the two parts and so on. So kids have to get used to that structure that when you have a, two parts, they have a difference in a total. And, and there's all kinds of variations on what information you can be given. You can be given the, the, the total and one of the parts and so on. So most word problems mix all those up and the kids are also dealing with dense language and often multi-steps. We take a different approach where we give the kids little grids and we give them very simple problems, like starting with the part and the part. You might have five green marbles, three red marbles. And the kids just have to draw a little sketch, shade in boxes to show the five and the three, and then tell the difference in the total. So every child starts with it on an even footing. Um, the language isn't a barrier. It's always green and red marbles, for instance. Uh, everyone can get the question. And, and you don't even have to have a deep sense of numbers because you may be coming into grade three or two, grade two, three, or four with, with very little number sense. Everyone starts with an equal footing. And, and the kids learn every variation, the, the, the part and the whole, um, the, 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 you know, the part and the difference, and so on. And then when they can switch between the problem types and understand the deep structure, because there's only a limited number of problem types, and when they know those and can find them, then we give them information in columns, not with, not with a lot of language, where we'll give them two pieces of information. We might have to, total number of green marbles, total number of red, uh, number of green, number of red, total, and then the difference between the two maps. We give them two pieces of information. They have to draw a picture and find the missing information. When they can do that, we start to introduce the language and we make it more and more complex. And eventually they have to draw their own sketches and we give them harder and harder problems until they're multi-step. It's a much more gradual process. So, so what we claim is that um, if you take that approach, kids will be much better and more confident problem solvers at the end of the year than they would if you have the same approach where you just give them lots of word problems at the beginning of the year and the end. So we need a different approach to word problems. We, Jump produces kids who can tackle word problems confidently, but it doesn't look the same at the beginning of the year. It's a very different development from other resources. So I, I wanted to go into depth there because people don't, people don't know what the real issue is. It, it's The word problems isn't the issue. It's that 
when you give the kids full multi-step rich word problems, they can't even begin to see the deep mathematical structure. You know, do I have the two parts? What information do I have? Do I have the two parts? Do I have the total in a part? They can't even see that because it's too, uh, there's just too many things that obscure that. So that it's as simple as that. There's an approach to word problems that is effective. It's evidence-based. Um, and we saw in the randomized control trial, it works really well, but it's very hard to convince not teachers, teachers get this, but administrators, administrators think, oh, if they're not doing full rich word problems from the beginning of the year, they're not ever going to learn math in depth. Actually, it's the opposite. If they're doing that, a lot of them will never learn math deeply. That's that's so true. Um, I, I love that you, I grew up in Europe and our curriculum was a lot like yours. It was very visual. So, mm -hmm. and it was a gradual. So if you if you teach like that, kids are able their brains are able to immerse in it and then yeah. make their own conclusions so yeah. I, and it's so hard because like with word problems i always say okay so step back read it again see what yeah. they're asking you what you know oh uh, yeah. what are they trying to trick you about and i remember yeah. one teacher exactly. saying isn't that kind of cheating the way you're teaching them? I'm like, no, like every problem is going to try to see if you're going to make a mistake. It's going to try to, you know, you have to figure out what you know and what you don't know. Like you have to teach the steps. Otherwise, yeah, and here, here's that. I'm glad you gave that example because a lot when when a lot of teachers, when they've inherited kids who are discouraged and also they're they're trying to get them to parse very complex problems. And they're saying, look for the information you have. A lot of the kids don't even know what they're looking for. Right. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the hardest type of problem for grade three kids when you've got a part in it, uh, a whole is, is tell them you've got 20 marbles altogether and you've got um, six more green than red. That's pretty hard for kids because you don't even know where to start. Um, that and but if yeah. if if earlier they've learned to draw little sketches like they they will draw in the number of if, if you give them the number of red and green and they'll just shade in they'll draw two bars to show the relative amounts or they'll shade in a grid then they know there's always going to be two parts that can be represented by bars and so in the harder problem they could guess and try what if i drew one of my bars eight long and one one twelve long and so on. they can guess and check and get it um, but if they don't, if they haven't learned the deeper structure of the problem, they don't even know where to begin. They just shut down. So that's why going back to the simplest types of problems and also showing them what, how all those problems are related. Any part whole problem, you could draw two bars to show the relative links and you can see the difference in the difference of the links of the bar and you can see the total by adding them up. Once they know that, they can, even, they can struggle with much harder problems. But if they don't see the deep structure, which is often obscured by all the language or, or the cartoons or the other things that are on the page, then, uh, then they, they never learn to tackle the harder problems. That, that's, that's true. And uh, what I also noticed um, that what you say about vocabulary, vocabulary is very yeah. dense. I'm not sure yeah. whoever writes these questions has never been in the classroom. Like kids don't talk like that. So they're not yeah. going to understand what you're talking about. What are you asking yeah. them? And I remember um, my third graders were uh, working on a, a lap Stein problem and they were really struggling. But like kids that age, they don't have reversibility yet, like no. in development. So of course they were struggling. And so many of the textbooks don't even take into consideration their developmental stage. Like you, 
you have to know what kids are able to do. They're aimed at the highest level and um, and that's fine. We want kids to solve rich multi-step problems that are about the real world that are going to have to be described in, in, in complex language. But we've shown in, in, in our studies that you don't want to start there. You want to start by stripping away the language, by stripping away all the complexity and giving kids a simple visual representation, for instance, on, and then add more and more complexity. And that's far more efficient than, than uh, because if math is the most important subject for younger kids and it, it remains important through for all kinds of reasons throughout school, why do we want language, for instance, to be a barrier, especially to kids who have a sec English second language? Um, why does the language of each problem vary so that every time they hit a new problem, they're not only varying in the dealing with the variation in the math, they're dealing with the variation in the language. And, and that, you know, Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And right. from the point of view of cognitive science, that's an insane approach because you're varying too many things. The research is so clear that novice learners can only handle a few variations at a time, conceptual variations at a time. And so there's a very quick route to problem solving. It's just just scaffold really well in a way that shows them the deep structure so they can think independently later and see these things. And as kids develop confidence, you can let them struggle more. But but first they have to be confident, resilient learners and have the the enough background to actually be able to see the underlying structure of problems. We have um, actually, you know, um, you mentioned advanced students. Um, to our teachers guides, we added 10 advanced problem solving lessons a few years ago. And what we did is we looked at the math competitions, the Olympiads and so on. And we and a lot of our writers are mathematicians like myself. And we thought about all the all the strategies we use in our research or in solving problems. And we wrote and we wrote lessons that teach those strategies, but in the jump way where we start very, very simple and scaffold up and let the kids discover the strategies. So if if a teacher or a parent is teaching an advanced student, you should go to our, our Canadian site and our US site, um, go to the teacher's guides and go through the table of contents when you get them and you'll see these links that say problem solving lessons every few units. And um, so you know, people think jump is a simple rope program for two reasons. One is because we scaffold and because we have a lot of review in the beginning. The first book is half review, I would say, but kids quickly get to grade level. We have two books in the year. Um, so that's one reason is the, the amount of scaffolding and review and so on. People don't look at the end, the problems the kids do at the end of the year, which are as deep as any program. Um, so, so that's one reason people think that that jump is is sort of simple or rote or something because we uh, we provide review and and scaffolding and so on and and we also the other reason is we believe that all kids can move together uh, or virtually all kids and the way we differentiate is through bonus questions it's not in the core material all kids are going to learn the same material starting we start lessons at a fairly low level but build quickly but to occupy faster kids, the teacher always is putting up bonus questions that are small variations on that. And, and gradually the weaker kids start speeding up because they want to get their bonus questions too. Right. So, uh, so those two reasons. So, so a, a lot of people don't realize how deep or complex jump is because they don't look at the teacher's resources. We have extension questions that get harder and harder through the year, but also these advanced problem solving lessons. I, 
I mentioned are probably harder than anything you'll find in in regular textbooks usually like they or the, when, when you get to the end of those problem solving lessons so um, if, if teachers are teaching or parents are dealing with very advanced students they should look at those problem solving lessons yes and uh, parents also uh, all the resources are accessible to parents as well parents can also yes. sign in and yeah. go into teacher resources i mean i i used your guys um, equations um last year and percentages lessons yeah. and they were just excellent they were complex but also chunked for you know yeah. students who were struggling and they were step by step and when it comes to equations it's so important to have a solid foundation and it was all visual i loved it it was just visual for them it was all laid out oh good could, could i say something there too about parents like um it's very hard for parents to teach their own kids i know tell me about <laughs> I it a, i have a daughter who's really good in math but i i you know, I didn't teach her that often because because it, it, it's very hard to teach your own kids. Parents easily become impatient and so on. And and also, when I survey teachers, I say, when you try and teach your own kid, even though you're a great teacher, what's the first thing your kid says? And teachers universally say, that's not how my teacher taught it. Like kids don't want the parent or the teacher teaching anything that's not like what's being done in the classroom. So it's really hard to teach your own kid. So if you are doing that, recommend I recommend make sure you've got well scaffolded resources because you don't want to have to be struggling with the math yourself. Make sure you have resources that build gradually. Second is be really patient and blame yourself. Like when a student struggles, I always think it's my fault. I always find there's I skip some concept that you know that I thought was obvious but wasn't obvious to them. Yeah. Um, you have to, you have, and you have to ask questions many ways, many times. If, if one approach doesn't work, try another. And, and always make sure, the, the final thing is make sure that your, your student or your child has the, all the knowledge they need to move to the next step. Like look for prior knowledge that's missing. And so the jump materials tend to do that, especially if you start at the beginning of the year, they tend to fill in those gaps. But you have to be really patient if you're teaching your own child. And, and if they're not getting something, don't think they're being wolf, willfully obtuse, it's probably that you didn't explain it well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm often told I don't explain it well by my kids and, or I explain yeah. stuff that everybody knows already. Yeah, right. I know. There's no winning. <laughs> That's why, you know, sometimes we recommend it. Well, just, you know, if you don't want to teach your own kids, find a high school student or some someone or a relative who would just look at the jump resources yeah. and walk through with your kids. So it's not you doing it. Uh, or, or even what parents can do, they can print out your resources and give it to someone else to give it to the child. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you want to go into full depth, we have... Uh, so we have student assessment practice books, we call them, um, that you can order through University of Toronto Press, that uh, you can get all the information on the website about how to order. Go to Get Jump and, and to order. If you want the full program, um, if, you want, if you want to just do catch up and use our essential lessons, those can be printed out for free. We've, because we're a charity, we made those available uh, for parents for free. Right. I also know the Toronto Public Library has your resources, and um, I uh, used to buy them when my kids were little, um, a mastermind. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, that's probably right. Probably Indigo has them as well. A lot of stores have Amazon. them, yeah. So. Uh, I know the University of Toronto Bookstore has them, um, yeah, so quite, you can, yeah, and definitely you can order them online easily. Um, 
Yeah, so just know there's two books to the year part one and two, like grade three, it would say 3.1 and 3.2. Okay. And that this, the second book in jump, like I said, is different from the first, it gets deeper and deeper as the year goes on. And, and so do the teachers resources. Um, if you ever do, you know, teachers, a lot of parents don't have time to go into our lesson plans, but if you're ever stuck on something, you could look at the lesson plan. But a lot of teachers don't know that the hardest questions in JUMP only come at the end of the lesson plan. They're not actually in the student books. If you're, if you're just using the student books, you're not using JUMP. Um, because the extension questions that are at the end of every lesson plan are once the kids have done the material in the standard lesson, that's where they go deeper into the, into the conceptual investigations. Thank you so much. I know you're very accomplished, you're playwright, and you got a PhD in math, but what you've done with this curriculum for Canadian kids and for US kids is, is just amazing. And I admire your work that you do. It's so important. As you said, like math teaches kids creative thinking, critical thinking yeah. that translates to everything else. It's so important and we have to support the kids. Thank you so much. And I hope the parents go out and have an extra resource to help the kids. And I mean, everyone is trying to do whatever we can during this COVID-19. Who knows how long this is gonna last, but disruption is here. So let's just try to make sure that we do what we can as parents. And yeah, thanks for all the work you're doing as a teacher and also in, in informing people about what's, you know, what's available. Thank you so much. And good luck with everything. Thank you. We appreciate okay, thank it. you. Have a thanks good day. so much. Bye-bye. too. Bye. To find out more about Jump Math and access math resources, go to jumpmath.org. show has been brought to you by King West Academy. Learn anytime, anywhere. King West Academy has rolling 2020 registration for elementary, middle, and high school students. Their flexible learning options include full-time and part-time studies, as well as individual classes towards Ontario High School Diploma, taught by highly qualified Ontario certified teachers. To find out more, visit kingwest.ca.